Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this new episode of Gas Giants. In 1992, Britain's Channel 4 television company screened a four-part investigation into improvisation written by Derek Bailey. Armed with the knowledge that a proposal of this nature would not make it past the security guard on the front desk, we meditate on the ground that has been lost while examining this jewel of documentary television. What security desk is that? Well, there's always somebody on security in um, in the in sort of buildings like that. Like what? Yes. Who are you? The, what ga- do you want? the gas giants building. What? No, 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 no. A Channel Four. Can you imagine this? Oh, I see. You've got a proposal for a, for a program. Why have you got a guitar case under your hand? Is it <laughs> is it about baking or selling houses? No. Uh, would you just wait here for a moment? I'll just call security. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, back back then in the nineties, there were there oh, all yeah, kinds of were. shit going on. No, this is uh, this this is my point. This is um, that this is a show of quality of seriousness, mm-hmm. which treats a subject with a huge amount of breadth. Yeah, which just would not make it as far as the proposal stage in <sighs> the current climate. Uh and I, I was I was thinking about that yesterday and talking about it with Ava. It's it's really amazing to think about that. So to be clear, what we got here are is a is a four part documentary in the old style documentary, especially I, I think of it as especially BBC sorry British style of documentary mm. making. Yeah. So four one hour episodes, and it's just lovely. It's. So enjoyable as television. It's so informative. It must be relatively straightforward to make this kind of thing. Why wouldn't you make lots of TV like this? I was just, just thinking like about, this. Yeah. <laughs> why shouldn't we have something like this coming out every year? Exactly. <laughs> various right. aspects of, let's say, music. Why not? Well, particularly as, of course, it takes a subject like improvisation and it treats it on all levels of music. Oh, to the extent so, it can, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so you know, if you if if you don't like somebody in a shirt screaming and hammering a piece of corrugated iron, then hang on for a couple of minutes, and there's going to be somebody with a sitar turning up, or an organ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, exactly. Or, or some people in church singing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you know, it's uh, there's something there for everybody, really. Yeah, it's I I read the book. Um, Years and years ago, I can't remember when I got it, uh, but I imagine it would have been, I, it's, it's the second edition I've got, so it's the version that came yeah. out in, in 92 or 93 that got revised yeah. while he was making this TV show. Yeah. Hold uh, on, back up a little bit. We should explain something. Yeah. Uh, the Who wrote and, pre- and some t- occasionally presented parts of this of this, uh, Underrated this it, yeah. series is Derek Bailey. Yes. Uh, who's a, a British guitarist and improviser. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1980, he wrote a book on improvisation, which deals with improvisation in all forms of music. Yeah. And uh, I I read that, I think it must have been in about 1980 or 1981, because I got it out of the local library. Yeah. Remember those kids? Well, and, uh, that sounds very early, though. Very, very yeah. early. Uh, well, it, it, it must have been because I left. Uh, I left Scotland in 
in oh well maybe maybe it was no because i left scotland in 86 so yeah. maybe it was actually the, the idea that you had read a book later. by derek bailey before meeting me is surprising to me well because it said improvisation on it hmm. i was uh i was you know just just interested in that then in 1992 the book uh, was made into this documentary and for the documentary coming out an expanded edition of the book came out yeah so the tv show was that the, these tv films were were based on the original version of the book and the filmmaker involved who uh, maybe ought to get a little more credit than than he does because it's really wonderful used the original book uh, to get mm. ideas for where to go and do some filming. Yeah. yeah. And uh, interestingly, how this uh, has maybe entered into the modern psyche um, is that it got uh, sort of restored and had Spanish subtitles put on it. And it was uh, shown at the No Idea Festival in Austin, Texas, I think two years ago or something like that. I'm not sure it really got into the uh, got into the public psyche much that way. Just well, a little bit, Austin, maybe. you know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, my goodness, how, why isn't this thing so easy, easily available? There's this musty mm. old VHS transfer that you can get on on YouTube, which is what we based our work on, mm-hmm. which which has got pretty shaky color on it and all those wobbly bits. Mm. Uh, but but the still, sound is okay. Yeah, it sounds good, and uh, and it's it's still really glorious photography. Yeah, the whole thing is so well put together. Why why isn't that restored as pristine on on DVDs yeah. and uh, yes. who knows what? This seems so straightforward. It's also seems so so. Uh, I don't know what the problem is. Maybe we'll find yeah. figure it out later. I just don't get it. No, I don't know because it's it's something that's going to be. Uh, Obviously, the fact that it turned up at this festival, who commission and present a very small amount of film and video every year, because they're, they're mostly to do with, with live music. Uh, but that means that somebody saw it back in 92 and remembered it. Yeah. And thought, oh, yeah, that'd be, yeah, that's that's really good. We should get that. You know, we should we should actually try and present that. Because I imagine uh, Channel 4 keeps everything very close to its chest. Yeah, I don't know about that. And I imagine the whole business of actually getting it licensed and getting getting permission to do anything with it must have been labyrinthine. Maybe, but I mean, they can publish it themselves. Yeah. Why not? And, Come on. Oh, yeah, not all those programs about doing up houses and baking. No, I, we're not interested in that. But this <sighs> is this is a gem. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so one of the things about this, this documentary is that if you, you know, TV and film have their own, um, very particular demands and, you know, they need to work in a certain way to be familiar and so forth, especially if it's now for broadcast TV on one of four channels in the UK, you know, it needs to be Mm -hmm. reasonably familiar. And generally speaking, especially on the BBC, you get an awful lot of music documentaries and they're all pretty awful. There's a, a style of, of them that's, you know, BBC has got blanket licenses for everything and they've got a vast amount of archival 
material. Yeah. So putting together a documentary about any question you might want, you can produce an hour's worth of TV at very low, very low cost. Yeah, you know, without even leaving the building, usually. Just sit much, in the yeah. cutting room and do voiceovers. Exactly. Um, mm. And this is completely unlike that. You've got yeah. some narration, but we've got long segments of, uh, of just listening to the music as well. Uh, I mean, they do have to hurry things along because there's a lot of material to get in. But still, isn't, there? isn't it lovely to be able to listen to this music kind of almost properly? Yeah. You know, so there's another yeah. uh, there's another fine thing here. But yes, it moves all over yeah. the place. Also, what, what interests me as well is it's not just that we listen to set piece performances of pieces, but we often um, watch the process of instruction. Yes, um, and, or and rehearsal. So we've got the we've got mm-hmm. several cases, like three cases of instruction that are going on in India. Yes, two of them in a family situation where a, a, mm. a father is instructing uh, a son and a daughter in one instance, and in another instance, it's uh, two sons, it's two brothers. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a, a, a music school. Uh, sorry, a, a music and well, a dance school actually. Yeah. So we see the instruction going on there. That's really wonderful uh, mm. um, because the master there is, um, uh, yeah, well, anyway. well, go watch it uh, if you want to see that bit. It's all on YouTube, easy to find. Yes. There are, however, um, some some interesting setups where it seems, uh, yes, and, and the flamenco is a rehearsal, mm-hmm. right? Um, but you've got to pay attention sometimes because the presence of the of the movie crew there inserts itself into the situation sometimes for example i'm curious whether or not the locations that were used for uh for some of those teachings in mm. india uh in particular one that looks like it's happening in a, a rather dilapidated maharaja's palace um, mm. Whether or not that would be the the likely teaching location uh, for for these for this you know for this lesson, but yeah. in the case of the um, uh, the country music session players in Nashville, that I yeah. believe is completely synthetic. Uh-huh. You know that that when when those guys are are, are playing uh, playing their bit there, they have been told go on you show us your improvisation chops in and they play in a way that they never would on on recordings yeah that they would uh, that they would be doing sessions for yeah it's hilarious well, I, actually i don't know a lot of the um a lot of the work of session musicians of that type of course is actually deciphering something that somebody else comes in and wants to do yeah you know, yeah. if you if you look into all the stuff with the, with the guys who uh, who made all the all the Motown records, you know, some somebody who couldn't read music would come in and sing something at them and say, "Okay, right, well, this is what you're trying to play," and they would they would actually interpret that and then then fit chords around it, and yep. stuff like that. Yeah. So, the, of course, that that has an element of improvisation. Of course, it does in yeah. it. Yeah, and what they were discussing in the uh, in the Nashville segment in this one was. Uh, uh, yeah, well, well, here, here's your melody. Here's your, here's your chords, and uh, and the players have to figure out everything else, which mm. is very familiar also from from jazz as a yeah. as the process. But then, but in these cases, there, what what suddenly comes across very nicely in that little segment of Nashville uh, when they do their their playing, just do a little uh, show off demo, 
is that there's a, a sort of an offhand, casual, almost throwaway virtuosity to the playing. Yeah. Whereas if we were in other uh, kinds of music, you know, like like in, in bebop jazz, then you'd have to be very, very serious about it. Um, mm. And of course, seriousness is is, is, is de rigueur in, in the classical world, although they don't improvise so much there. But this, uh, yeah. yes, just they, the improvisations going on there, and there's this virtuosity to the to the technique and all the, you know, to the playing, and and the and the musicians will recognize that and they'll appreciate it and they'll maybe comment if they have the chance to comment on it to the to each other and to the player involved. But to the listener, no, nah, mm. it's kind of a casual throwaway thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's, uh, actually, I think about the only, uh, the only jazz that's going on in this is the, is the segment with Max Roach. Yeah. There's a little which bit, is, of, which is, oh, which is also a teaching segment. That's right. Um, it's, yeah. um, there's a little bit of, uh, historical reference to, yeah, to jazz, but I mean, Derek Bailey has a, a very, had a very, tricky relationship with jazz himself. Yeah. Um, I think it was, it's worth talking about actually, mm. uh, because, yeah. you know, Derek Bailey is at the center of all of this and he, he was, he's been my guitar hero since about 1985 or six or thereabouts. Mm. Um, and his approach to music making is so insanely dedicated to a non-idiomatic playing, to removing all reference to to known kinds of music from what he plays. That yeah. I mean it's 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 pathological. I mean it's when yes. I say insane, it's it is pretty much crazy. Why do yeah. that? And and my my get my guess as to as to this, and it comes out a little bit um, in the Ben Watson book, and uh, but it's it seems to me that that Derek Bailey doesn't really want to answer this question, but I mm-hmm. had the impression that this has a bit of a story that must have been a similar kind of thing going on for a lot of people, especially in Britain, in the in the post war post World War Two years, yeah, where the idea that improvisation was something that you would do became apparent as something that, that's serious, something that, that's a real option for a player, mm-hmm. was something that came along when they started listening to American jazz. Uh, and especially with the arrival of bebop, where the, the improvisers' solos was... Uh, sorry, the, the soloists, the, the frontline musicians, their ability to improvise was, was sort of like the whole the whole sort of thing mm. yeah. and that so that pushed things along in a certain direction by by bringing improvisation to the forefront we now have to think about it instead of it being this thing that that most musicians do more or less mm. they have to anyway especially working musicians but you know if you're going to come up with anything new you're improvising um, mm-hmm. the, the the situation with the European concert music, with the the, the European high art tradition, mm-hmm. having wrung it that mostly out, we had this sort of situation that there was music, there was written music, and there was jazz which had improvisation. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
there's almost an interchangeability between the concept of, inter- of, of improvisation, the concept of jazz. And there was then for, for a lot of musicians, including Derek Bailey, a lot of excitement about that and the possibilities that it affords and also a huge problem because are you going to go ahead and try to be like these American mm. black musicians? Yeah. Yeah. And many of them, including Derek Bailey, no, can't do that. That's not that's not something I can do, want to do. It's it's not appropriate for me to do. Yeah. Right? No, I mean, uh, hold on, we we must we uh, we we must make the uh, make the point here. Yeah, it was certainly something he could do. Uh, technically, yes. I mean, yeah, te- technically, go. I mean, if you found that uh, that wonderful bootleg uh, recording of Lee Kernitz yeah. somewhere in either Leeds or Manchester being accompanied by what is basically Joseph uh, Holbrook. Joseph Holbrook. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's great. Yeah. <laughs> you, you gave that to me a while back, and I've listened to it quite a few times since. It's really fun. Yeah. I, I, they, I mean, they could play. Uh, but yeah. the point is that that's uh, that, that that's it's just not the right thing to do. You know, that's what I mean by can't. Mm. And not the right thing for them. Somehow there's something not politically correct about it. There's something unsatisfying yeah. about that idea. Yeah. But, but then mm. there was then so so then they um Derek Bailey and others, among with other obviously the Joseph Fulbrook Ping, but there are other people in the UK but also separately working along similar lines in other parts of the world. Yeah. Um who then subtracted the idiomatic the style elements of mm. uh, away from the creative aspect of improvisation yeah. and so it's this process of subtracting out that leads you to the free improvisation uh-huh. and if you imagine these musicians during those years back in the 60s uh, mm. spending yeah as they did back then and probably some of them still do today uh, spending hours a day practicing um, mm. and trying to figure that out, finding whatever influences can give them ideas, for example, listening to Webern, as mm. Derek Bailey did, uh, mm-hmm. figuring out how approaches to structuring the music, a new language of their own uh, that can do it. Well, I've actually got a, a quote for you here. This comes from a from a longer article here. Uh, hold on, I'm just trying to find the right place. Um, okay, from the same feature, Bailey. I think imp- this is a direct quote. I think improvisation's great era is over. Its time is gone. He sighs. My impression is that for any music to be really vibrant, it lasts oh, about seven or eight years. That's all of music, every music period, bebop, Dixie, whatever. There's a vibrant period that lasts seven or eight years, and after that, it's over. Yeah, so Indeed, I was... I was in, hold was... on, I'm not quite to the, to the end <laughs> okay. of this. Indeed, towards the end of his own book, the guitarist writes, one of a variety of reasons that led me in 1974 to start putting this book together was the suspicion that, re- that freely improvised music as an identifiable set identifiable separate music was finished like some early 20th century ism i vaguely felt it had run its course and would probably continue to exist if at all only as some kind of generalized influence yeah 
Now, I don't know about that because, um, you know, that was, that was some in, of these. That was in 2004. So that was, he, that quote was from quite a, a long time after what the, the period I'm talking about and, and only a year or so before he died. Yeah, all right. But then there's uh, some of that quote uh, talk, uh, is from the end of the first yeah. edition of yeah. the book. And, and, it's, and, and this, this, this fits into what I was saying, uh, is that there was for that period, for these musicians, this uh, sort of opportunity that arose of... Mm. Of playing a um, a a dogmatically non idiomatic mm. music, a music that uh, that that has nothing recognizable at all. If you okay, play something yeah. recognizable, you've made a mistake. Yeah, because of course the thing is, uh, you know, there's there's the, those two Indian brothers uh, see themselves as part of a tradition that's been going on for three hundred years. Well, that's just, the, has, that's just their family. <laughs> it's yeah, been going on yeah. well. Tradition, that, that music's been going on continuously for well over a thousand. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so, so but, the, the, what, I, what I'm getting at there is that there's a, um, that there was that period of discovery of, of being able to do something that nobody had ever done before um, mm -hmm. for these free improvisers, uh, especially in the, like, the 70s. Mm. And... Yes, like Derek Bailey says, uh, has to sort of run its course. And then when he was doing stuff mm -hmm. in the 90s, sorry, uh, yeah, in around the, when were the company weeks? That was, that was uh, mid 80s to early 90s. So that was already in the period that this television program was getting made, I guess. Mm -hmm. At that point, he was sort of really trying to stretch out to mm -hmm. uh, anybody that could make something that sounded a bit like music mm -hmm. from a, a very wide range of, uh, of backgrounds just to see what would happen if you put them together. Um, but he also mm -hmm. had the idea that there's not much point. You can't, you can't go very far in the conversations that you have uh, with any individual um, musician and you've got to keep moving on. So, I mean, yeah, Derek Bailey was a really um, a maniac, Mm. about this uh, this insistence. And he really, really toned it all down for the TV show. And you only get a couple of really mm. kind of snide comments that he makes, particularly about yeah. about uh, classical music, um, <laughs> where he describes the orchestra as technological, you know. Yeah. You or see, even, uh, or Pavlovian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I understand exactly what he means. Okay, I do. But the thing is, there's a whole lot of stuff that he has missed out on. Okay, I'm a member of, a, of an orchestra. I play in an orchestra every day. Yeah, it's true. I can't improvise as far as putting different notes in to a Brahms symphony. What I can do... And it's actually, once you're in the middle of it, quite a large freedom. I can wonder exactly about what shading, what color I put on each note. I can change phrasings. I can actually uh, suddenly drop down dynamics to, to highlight something else. Somebody else can play something slightly differently in the middle of a show, and I can follow their articulation. And this is actually what I do a great deal of. 
I've uh, I had one wonderful colleague for for a while who's is now somewhere else who honestly used to think about how he was going to play a particular solo as he breathed in which was uh, he was about 10 years younger than me it was very very inspiring to me as a player to come into work and hear that because I I just I was so impressed that somebody would have the bravery to do that, and I thought, well, why don't I? Have, why don't I do that? Well, the the notation that you get actually specifies hmm. very little, doesn't it? It depends what you're playing. If you're if you're um, playing something like Haydn, or as we see in this uh, in this uh, extract, then uh, Mozart, mm-hmm. then um, then yeah, the uh, the thing is that the the language that of uh, of the indications that are used in a score like that are several hundred years old, and it's not the language that it's been through. It's been distorted. It's been through various reprintings and editings and all the rest of it. So but it was never much in the way it of was never much, no. anyway. No, no, and 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 I mean what we understand as musical notation these days. Uh, identify some pitches, some approximate durations, and some approximate mm. timings, and that's well, a bit yeah. of dynamics, and that's about it. That's not very much. It's yeah, really yeah, not. no, exactly. There's a, there's actually a lot more freedom there than uh, than people understand. Yes, but, uh, to say that you know, yeah, well, it's 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 also interesting that uh, that uh, the exact moment in time when all of these guys are. Are, are talking there's this whole thing about how the recording is the greatest thing and it's actually in danger of of uh, of extinguishing live music which i don't think anybody would think of these days uh yes we actually get that briefly from both the pianist what's the name of the pianist who does the uh the mozart oh, i don't know no, i've forgotten too um, no, i've forgotten as well and oh, let's see i've got it might have it written down in my notes here and christopher hogwood Yes, Robert Levin. Robert Levin. Robert Levin. He and Bailey are concerned about recording uh, as a... um, uh, I am too, actually. I think that there's too much uh, consumer orientation in recording. Because a recording has to be finished, because it has to compete with other recordings and with other things that might take your attention for entertainment when you might listen to a recording, Hmm. it has to be a very highly polished thing. It needs to be marketable. It needs to be... And and so there are all these commercial forces and competitive forces that that I think push us, um, you know, towards a a particular kind of music making that isn't very musical. Yes. That's more to do with product and show business entertainment and one of the things that i see from this uh as sort of like the meta message from all four episodes taken together is that we see improvisation being used as a practice within a community for continuity and renewal of that community it's uh, in one literal case in more than one literal case in this we've got music in church in the Outer Hebrides, uh, there's, mm-hmm. there's a church they visit. And yeah. uh, so we listen to uh, the psalm singing mm-hmm. that they do there. And there's an interview with uh, with one of the ladies who explains a yeah. bit about how they do it. And But then 
I think it's in the fourth episode, we've got the Grateful Dead. And, you know, this Grateful Dead concert, you realize it's kind of the same thing that's happening there. These are, Mm -hmm. this is a community that comes together to renew their bonds through this ecstatic process of doing music together. Even though there's a band up on the stage, it's, and it's actually in this particular case, it's a big amphitheater, but everybody's dancing, you know, they're, um, they're grooving along. Probably a lot of them are singing along. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a community renewal thing. It's a, Mm -hmm. it's going to church, you know, Um, but a more fun way. And you see the same thing again in the funerals in Africa, uh, Mm -hmm. which, which I, God, I want my funeral to be like that. I don't stand a chance, (laughs) of course, but that would be so, yeah. I'll go to Africa to die uh, if I can have a funeral like that. Um, And, you know, but also in their, uh, in their full moon, Mm-hmm. activities you know I mean, all over the place we see uh e- even um you know in the uh so the, the sufis in mm. india who were sort of like hangers on in the particular case there were there were the the muslim community uh, around a particular temple were 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 allowing these sufis sorry not the muslims sorry it was the muslims that they had a, the 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 um yeah, well, Sufis are sort of like dramatically unorthodox, right? That's the whole thing, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, a refuge together with uh, hanging on around some some Hindus, I think it was. Mm-hmm. A Hindu temple, that's right. Um, so, you know, music as a process, as a, yeah. as a human conversation, as a thing that can be done collectively um, with some skilled musicians or even just mm. people doing it together. Yeah. or a combination thereof is mm-hmm. a that's that's something that humans have been doing since forever that that's one of the messages yeah. that comes across here and in standing in contrast to that are two things one of them is european concert music mm-hmm. uh, where uh, where what happened was that the music came under the patronage of the uh, of the nobility hierarchies of the princes and the kings and mm-hmm. what have you and became very big and very grand. And when music gets extremely well organized, then it, you kind of have to take most of the improvisation yeah. out. Uh, uh, yeah. I, so you I, end I up you end up with so if you're going to have a hundred musicians, yeah, perform a piece of mm-hmm. music, then that has to be composed by a composer and conducted by a conductor, and everybody else is very disciplined, yeah. and including the audience. Oh, and, well, but yeah. what we see there is a reflection of the society itself, which is, uh, you know, it's got its high priests, it's got its kings or whatever um, going on down and the, and the culture flows down. And we've got that same reflection of the, stra- of, the, uh, of the structure within the music. We've got the composer, the conductor, and the musicians and the audience. You know? uh-huh. Yeah. So there's Although, that, and um, now, and now there's the recorded music, which are both of which have taken this, uh, this this process oriented, the practice, um, the doing of it together, the sing song, mm. you know, the sing along at the pub, or yeah. remember tutti frutti. We we observed how our our bickering uh, neighbors mm. and friends could uh, could sort them sort themselves out by singing a song together. Yeah, yeah. yeah although um, this 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 process of the elimination of uh, of improvisation as a uh, as an economic thing, I'm. I think it actually had a lot more to do with composers being uh, being 
sort of very exacting about exactly what they wanted to hear you know all the way through the through the uh, through the 18th through to the end of the 19th century the instructions in music start to get clearer and clearer and clearer by the say, time you get to a Mahler symphony yeah. the uh you know you're being told what dynamic to play every note I did, uh, yes i didn't say that that was an economic thing I think that that is is a cultural thing and reflects the uh, mm. the increasing dominance of the state and the and, the, and this and the state taking mm. patronage of the arts. But what and, and if it, one of the interesting things to note to, uh, is exactly this: if we look at the notation of Baroque music, we've got things like the figured bass, right? And yeah. if you think about the correspondence between the figured bass. And the chord symbol notation used in in jazz mm -hmm. in the lead sheet, yeah. right? It's kind of the same sort of thing. Yeah, no, it is. It right? is. And, and um, what we got there is just a shorthand notation of the minimum that has to be has to be give, written down so that we can coordinate a band. Yeah, understanding that these musicians involved know the idiom yeah. and they know. What they, they, they'll they, get they the, know notes. the rules. They know the rules. They. Well, I don't have to specify are, all the, the notes. No, but there are the, yeah. This is the thing about uh, about playing continuo, which yeah. is basically being the rhythm section. Yes, is that there are a set of a uh, set of unwritten rules. Uh, probably somebody did write them. I'm down, sure but they're basically unwritten. Yeah. I mean, I've uh, I I play continuo yeah. quite a lot. Uh, I'm very thankful for all of the time I spent listening to Charles Mingus. Yeah. Because uh, he shows you exactly how to play continuo, exactly how to how to get the viola section moving, and stick the cembalo under one arm, which, <laughs> which I've done on several evenings. But no, this this whole uh, this whole business of um, of of notation and ornamentation, yeah, as well, which well, Robert Levin then talks about yeah. in. Haydn and Mozart. I don't know. I wonder if you realise how long it went on for. Yeah, because I, mean, I have here. This corresponds, actually, a, I think, to our discussion about also uh, Glenn Gould and Liberace. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's true. Yes, yeah. it does. So I have here an account by Hector Berlioz, mm -hmm. and this is him turning up at the uh, at in Dresden. You know, he's uh, he's basically gone on tour around Germany to promote his music because nobody really cares about him in, in France. So he's just gone on the road with a hamper filled with his music and he turns up at these towns in Dresden, hires the orchestra uh, in, in, uh, in Germany, hires the orchestra for a week, rehearses it and puts on a concert. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Delamitri. <laughs> okay. So, okay, here we go. Um, the first oboe has a fine tone, but an antiquated style, uh-huh, and a mania for inserting trills and grace notes, which outraged my deepest convictions. <laughs> he indulged in some particularly disgusting embellishments at the beginning of the scene in the country. I expressed myself on the subject in vigorous terms at the second rehearsal. The sly dog refrained at the two subsequent rehearsals, but it was a faint. <laughs> at the concert, 
Knowing that I would not stop the orchestra and arraign him personally in the presence of the court, he treacherously resumed his little tricks, eyeing me with a quizzical air all the while. I nearly collapsed with indignation. (laughs) In a side note here, I would recommend that absolutely everybody to read Berlioz. He's so wonderfully entertaining. That is a good anecdote, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And whilst we're on quotations and talking about European concert music, I've got another one for you here. Mm -hmm. And maybe we'll make a wee uh, competition out of this. Can you guess who this is? This was the big mistake with the improvisation groups that were the rage in 1968. You could see ahead of time what they would do, because, you know, it was very simplistic. I remember I tried a test with a man I know. I said, I can tell you what will happen. And I was never wrong for the whole evening. That was the only interest of the evening. Of course, there was some excitement. And so everybody just made more activity, more activity, louder, louder, louder. Then they were tired. So for two minutes, you had calm, 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 calm. And uh, then somebody was waking up. So they began again. And then they were tired sooner this time. And so the rest was longer. You cannot call that improvisation. That's absolutely the contrary of improvisation, because you know very well that it will be up, down, up, down, up, down. I so, don't know. No? Oh, step forwards. Monsieur Je Sais Too, Le Grand Brongler, Pierre Boulez. Yeah. 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 <laughs> As soon as you started going into French, yeah, I thought it might be. Yeah, well, I mean that's um, and 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 typical Billers. What an enormous generalization that is, mm. um, because you know there's yeah there's there's plenty of uh, uh, of bad mm. improvised music, sure. And and one of the points that that Derek Bailey makes uh, quite explicitly uh, when he says that you know even music that is not uh, that is made by improvisation that is not actually a good piece of music to listen to. It's still interesting to see the conversation happening. To ah, you know, this to, perhaps to see the answers one of my questions because mm-hmm. I wondered. He makes that difference there between performing and mm-hmm. playing. Yes. So this is what he means. Well, the performing, I think that he's talking about, and, this, uh, and I think Jerry Garcia used the same the same concept oh. here, is here we have a work and we will now perform it. It's like a uh-huh. play, you know. We can yeah. perform a, we've got a, you know, we've got the, the book, you know, it's got the text in it and we can now uh-huh. go and perform that. That's yeah. performing. Playing means whatever it is that you do with your instrument, which uh, you can play your instrument to perform a work by yeah. Leo Brewer. Why not? Yeah. It happens to be on my desk. Or we can play our mu- mu- instrument to, you know, to make a comical sound. It's all just playing the instrument. That's just mm. manipulating. It's doing the thing with it. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that's, yeah, that's, uh, the, but that, that is actually quite well expressed. Yeah. That, uh, uh, that the, idea. The, and, and the, one of the, um, one of the things that came out, so here's a story. When I first found this on YouTube, it was some years ago, actually, and I was 
I looked at and I tried to get into it. I, I wasn't I wasn't doing very well. First of all, it opens with this classroom scene in Chicago where uh, a rather mixed class is is doing music with um, what's his name? Uh, it's one of the AACM guys. Uh, Ewart, isn't yeah. it? Anyway, I've got it here. So he's leading a classroom um, uh, of these uh, of these students, a, a wide range of ages in the classroom. That's kind of interesting. And, and I'm thinking, oh, this music isn't all that great. And then we go on to the next segment is the um, is the ancient Academy of Ancient Music, the Christopher Hogwood stuff, and the and the Mozart. And I'm going, and I already had because that stuff was so big in the 80s uh, and 90s, mm. the the you know that period instrument stuff. And I was never really all that excited. About it. In fact, I found it a bit of a turnoff. So I thought, ah, oh, this is a bit of a drag. But watching it again last year, I realized, you know what? This music isn't for me. And it has to do with my uh, consumer attitude to music. You see? Uh, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, the music's no good because it's... Uh, you know, that's me as a consumer. I, I've got something better to listen to, right? I've got my record collection, uh-huh. my CDs, yeah. and, you know, of course, now we've got the internet. But the this completely misses the point. That classroom in Chicago isn't making music for me. That's not the point. Yeah. The, the point. The point of making music is they're doing something for them. They're, it's not a performance. It doesn't have an audience. Uh, we're intruding with the cameras in this um, in this documentary, but the uh, they're making it for a different purpose. So this is this is this other word that keeps coming back to me when I watch this this thing is that the the improvised music every, in every instance in this what we see is is purpose that's quite specific to the to the context involved, and it's not yes the commercial true. and it's not the commercial purpose of selling records. And it's not the the you know the social purpose of aggrandizing an ability. Yeah. Even stuff that is actually commercially uh, viable, like you know the the Grateful Dead or Buddy Guy. Yeah, yeah. And but we what we see there in those can, in those situations is that you know what they're doing in those live performances is. Uh, is serving the needs of their audience that's right there in that place and time. And Buddy Guy says so. You know, he says yeah. what he's doing. And it, Buddy Guy, the way he talks about the, making the music is very interesting and how very much how so, far yeah. away from talking about the mechanics of playing notes and choosing them and, you know, scales or anything mm. like that, the music people talk generally use. No, mm. he's, he's he's talking about how he plays the room, how he can't, he has to improvise. He can't. He has no choice because it's his yeah. job to entify, entertain the audience that's in front of him right there and then. Yeah. And and uh, uh, Robert Levin says beautifully this this other thing. He says that you can spend time at home practicing your angel- embellishments and figuring mm-hmm. something out, and uh, you know just just working out these these uh, these bits that. Uh, yeah, uh, and and you got something really nice there, and you try it out in a performance, and you realize as soon as you get started, no, that's wrong. Yeah, that no, doesn't work. Yeah. It's no use. And this is the same 
and the, what he says there is because it's it, it's about that situation. It's about that moment. It's about the audience. It's about the truth of the situation of, of of the purposes and the needs of the situation that they're in at that time. Uh, so that actually is exactly the same thing that Bodhi Guy was saying later. Um, mm. Yeah, in that way, and and yeah, so so we've got these these various purposes in the Indian music. It's curious because we've got these traditions that that rely on mm. improvisation, not just in the music making process, but as yeah. Derek Bailey iterated at least twice, if not three times, that the uh, that the music survives through the centuries by reinventing itself through improvisation. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. notice that we've got the Sarangi player, the, um, the very well respected Sarangi player. What's it? Ram, uh, Ram something. Uh, Ram Narayan. Yeah. I remembered. Ram Narayan. Yeah, that's yeah. him. Uh, so Ram Narayan is very, you know, very well respected, but a uh, 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 player. But he turned the the Sarangi from an accompaniment instrument to a um, to a solo instrument. You know, to a, you know. Uh, a lead instrument so i think there were some technical modifications to the thing itself but you know that's that's the sort of thing that's not particularly uncommon in indian music you say just take on a completely new instrument Uh, a few musicians in the you know 20th century adopted the acoustic guitar uh really yeah i didn't know that yeah uh which you can play with a slide and that works very well for (laughs) for for the um the music yeah Vishwam Mohan Bhatt. Um, there's a actually, I think I shared it with you some time ago. A um, oh yeah, that's samadhi, right, you did samadhi of something like that. It's a really, uh, really wonderful live performance, so like a two-hour-long um, performance. So yeah, we got these um, in in those situations. We've got this music that sounds like it has these music. They've got examples like four different kinds of uh, music from India, and. Even though there's some similarities, what we see again is that in each of them, there's a distinct purpose for the music. There's the the spiritual purpose. There's the social purpose for the classical music. Uh, there's the, um, the sort of what do you call the uh, the the music that affirms an identity for a uh, for a community. How do we how do we describe that? How would you describe that exactly? Because it comes uh, up, this comes up obviously quite often. Jazz music was uh, was for a while, uh, you know, that was an important part of yeah. part of it. Um, but we got that in the in, in the music from Zimbabwe uh-huh. and the the Sufis, for example, um, the Gypsy. I didn't know that belly dancing was a Gypsy practice. Did you? It gets around everywhere, I think. But <laughs> <laughs> that's what they—that's that's the way it was presented there. We don't get an awful lot of belly dancing in this uh, TV show, but it's there. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and the flamenco. These are yeah. all these are all examples where the music is um, is something that a uh, that a people that's that's sort of resisting being assimilated or destroyed or whatever can mm. can yeah. uh, can build you know build some strength around. Okay, that's that's one purpose of music. Obviously, any kind of art is kind of like um, like the Delphic Oracle in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, the, the uh, all the or the and any of these things. It's the shaman that uh, that 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 chews the sacred herbs and has a trance 
and yeah. comes back from that place and tells you, you know, what's 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 going on. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, the artist is somebody who goes to a place that you can't go and comes back and creates a work of art to explain it to you. Mm-hmm. That's basically the function, of the, this, this sort of shamanic function of of uh, of the of somebody who's creative. Yeah, and and in so many of these musical practices that we see in this documentary, mm. uh, this is a, uh, a, a a process that that happens as a collective. So, mm-hmm. and it's often an ecstatic process. Whether it's the yeah, you know, the salsa dancers mm-hmm. um, enjoying Eddie Palmieri. Palmieri's uh, knit sweater. Did you notice the the the, the theme throughout <laughs> this was sweaters? Yeah, well, yes, <laughs> yeah. Or or if it's the um, you know if it's if it's people do, you know doing their uh, what do you call that that walking around part where you have to go and line up to get your wafer and 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 wine and the communion. Oh, the communion, yeah. yeah. Um, so you know whether it's whether it's that. I mean, there's another funny one though because there's this after. Um, after the the um, Chris Vargwood and the um, uh, and mm-hmm. Levin and the, and the oh, Mozart, the organist, yes. we go to we go to Paris uh, mm-hmm. for the organ improvi- improvisations, and that's absolutely mind blowing music. You've got this, yeah. and it's also fantastic photography. We've got this 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 organist. It, it, I mean, it's beyond Phantom of the Opera kind of. Um, yeah. maniac organ stuff going on. This the most biggest, yeah. the biggest organ console you've ever seen, and the whole thing is going at once. We've got at least five arms and four legs involved, yeah. you know, or <laughs> no, so it seems. But it's actually just crazy. one guy. And then, and then the guy who did that improvised performance on the organ sits down in front of a bookcase with a cardigan on <laughs> and tells you about it. And he's so sweet and soft-spoken. Oh, no. yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> After well, having I'll... just done something that sounded almost like an eruption from yeah. the, you know, yes, the uh, underworld. Know, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, well, of course, Messian was, uh, was, was an organist at the Paris church for a very long yes, time, and, right up until he died. Yes, and he was uh, he was an accomplished improviser too. You can go, yes. and, you can go and find, and you definitely should, and our audience should go and uh, go and look for Messiaen improvisations on YouTube because there's one that the the French TV made, and ah. it's, you know it's about an hour long or something. It's really okay. Wonderful. Well, that's that we can put on the on the Substack page. I'm oh, sure we'd be. I'm sure that's pretty easy to find. Yeah, and it's really good. It's quite exciting to watch. Um, at one point, you can see him improvising the uh, the registration, and it's, like, oh, oh. Uh-huh. it's just like two minutes of him adjusting full stops you know? <laughs> <laughs> without playing any notes. <laughs> yeah, well, for me, it's always like. Um it's basically like a sort of children's game, right? There are no rules. Oh, okay, there can be right. rules. What are we going to do? Okay. Oh no, hold on. We need that. All right. So that's a rule. Yes. And then you you put you put a series of rules one after another in place as you need them. Right. And that's uh, yes, that is a lot like uh, like children playing. That's the first thing yeah. children do when they play is start writing, start creating rules, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. yeah, but I mean, like the like the drummer in the um, sort of what's that Andalusian 
um, troubadour music group. What were they yeah. called? Sinfonie, um, yeah. with Stevie Wishart. Thanks, Lucy. Uh, yeah, with Stevie Wishart. That's a um, the drummer explains. Well, you know, this is what the drum. This is what the drum part sounds like. It's kind of boring. Obvi- obviously, you're going to improvise an embellishment to it. Mm. You know, there's just no way not to do it if that's the situation that you're in. It's yeah. it's obviously demanded. And why would yeah. you why would you bother to write that part down? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, there's uh, there's some notable omissions from um, omissions from this from this series, which I kind of wonder why. Mm. I wonder why on earth would you leave the art ensemble of Chicago out of this? I, I think a lot of it had to do with number one, the book. The yeah. book was based upon uh, Derek Bailey's access to to people. Who could he get to come and do the interviews? Uh, um, and so there was that part of it. And then when it came to making the film, uh, it was again like using using your connections, using and but also I guess since it's a respectable TV company. Uh, you can call and make arrangements with some of them. I guess that's yeah. what happened in, in India, for example. Yes, um, certainly. But, you know, I mean, Butch Morris, John Zorn. Um, yeah. Oh, who else? Eugene Chadbourne. These are all people uh, that Derek Bailey's played with. Um, yeah. You know, they're, so so he knows them. Um, Art Ensemble of Chicago, has he? I don't know if he's... I don't know if he'd ever done anything with them. And... Uh, but you know he's he's just got this general sort of distaste for getting too close to jazz. This is mm. part of the story that I was kind of getting into was that yeah. the the I think for for Derek Bailey the problem with with jazz was that it started off as an exciting thing for him and then uh, fairly quickly uh, sort of ossified into mm. as he describes it a sort of a nostalgia business. You know, it, its heyday was gone by the time that he could have gotten involved uh, mm. with it, and and he wasn't really properly positioned anyway, being who he mm. was, and and ended up having a, a considerable sort of distaste for what was going on with all the festivals and and the record uh, companies, yeah. uh, just keeping this flogging this dead horse as he saw it. Uh, yeah, well, I I do wonder what his reaction. I mean, he, he he only died fairly recently. What his reaction would have been to a lot of the resurgence, actually, which has which has gone on uh, in the last ten years. I don't know. I think he would yeah. have continued to announce it as uh, you know com- yeah. commercial nostalgia industry. Uh, I was sorry that somebody like Wayne Shorter wasn't interviewed for this. Because on the the one occasion when I had the honour of of speaking with Wayne Shorter, he did say that his his big worry was that improvisation would die out. That was what he was worried about, uh, and. I mean, not necessarily jazz, but any kind of improvisation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's there's any chance of that. It's interesting that uh, uh, Derek Bailey, when he first wrote the book, he sort of was uh, one of his motivations was that he was worried that the recording industry would bring an end to improvisation, of just like stamp out mm. any need for it. 
But when he came to do the revision, uh, the revised version, he no uh-huh. longer saw that as a uh, as a real threat. It's 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 going to have to. You know, you can't you can't get rid of it. It's just too obvious and necessary. You, people are going to improvise. It's, it's always going to happen. Mm. It's like, yeah. it's like having a conversation and not, and, and, and not sticking to a script, right? It's just or like, like having talking. a conversation with chat GPT. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, but that's, yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, us, us having, having this conversation right now, we're improvising. It's, it's mm. so, I mean, from this point of view, uh, and I think this is a perfectly straightforward and rather obvious way of thinking about it. Music is a form of, it's one of the human languages. Uh, it's yes. something like all ma- human languages. We make it up in order to suit the needs of the situation. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, some of us resist an authoritarian approach to specifying the language and what's correct and what isn't. And uh, mm-hmm. and, and some others enjoy specifying those rules, right? Those are just different yeah. kinds of personalities, I guess. But the thing about music is that it, it it doesn't have to well maybe poetry can come somewhere go somewhere in the middle but um it's it, it's it, it's an abstract language in that it's not explicit in what it's saying mm. right so you have to sort of figure it out and the the meaning is is something that we we figure out sort of approximately together but this way the fact that it is abstract and isn't specified what the meanings are permits then for it to communicate things that can't be communicated in sentences and words like we're using now Uh, so things like emotions and things like uh unconscious understanding another unconscious thought uh can be put through in music and making the space for that is you know that need isn't going to go away uh, problem i have that uh, it, it, w- with with the way things are going these days is the um is the sort of industrial and automated and software level control of so much of the uh, of the production of music that gets listened to if if we just go and have a look at how music is well, let's go and do the do the statistical analysis of everybody in america what did they listen to in the last year um yeah. and how was that made were they consuming it passively were they choosing were they was it a finished recording that they were listening to was it in a live context and so forth mm-hmm. um i think the the concern is is how do we get more people involved in the music itself the audience involved because one thing that keeps coming back up and up and up and up and was absolutely explicit in, was it the, I think it was in the Sufi music that in order to, for the music mm-hmm. to be good, you need good musicians. The Sufis say that the time must be right, the place must be right, and the listeners must be right. Mm-hmm. The, the, if uh, Robert Levin and, and Buddy Guy are to be believed, and I don't see why not, that they're playing the audience and that the, it's the situation mm-hmm. with the audience present that can tell you whether or not you're doing the right thing um, yeah. and that can determine what you should say next, then you need the audience there and the audience is participating one way or another. They're going to give you yeah. some kind of feedback if they're, if they're alive and not trying to prevent communication back, but you know, you're going to pick something up. Um, 
and you know their involvement is 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 part of the process you see yeah now this this to me is like this is this is this is where we should be headed i this is where i want to go anyway hmm. um, and uh, let, let's find ways to bring more involvement back in why not instead of what seems to be going on where we can use computers to make music I mean, the, the, the software instruments in the music now, and obviously people are going to be, I'm sure that's already sold as being AI instruments now, artificial intelligence, because um, that's a good way of sort of like adding mm. interest to anything these yeah. days, it seems. Yeah, yeah. It's a very boring discussion. But anyway, the ability to just sit down at a computer as a composer and very easily finish the work just sitting at a computer and then throw that out over the internet. That's not, mm, mm. that's not the process. That's not the, uh, that, that I, that, that I want to be involved in, you know, mm. and but oh, that's I very did. easy. It's very, very easy. Technically it's inexpensive mm. and it's very fast. Mm. Anybody can learn to do it. If you've, if you've got the motivation, it does take some time, of course, to learn how to do it. But, it's that's a one-way street you know that's yeah. not a process did you notice actually how uh, how a lot of this this language this uh, this way of describing playing the crowd and uh, you know how the how the, you had to how the public were an integral part yeah. of this whole thing uh, reminded you a lot of listening to rave DJs in the 90s talking mm. about yeah. <laughs> how they how they yes. you know react to the audience it's exactly the same thing hip hop DJs as well i mean even even yeah. disco DJs no that's that was a, that was a super important part of being a good DJ uh, yeah. you know you 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 choose the music and and you you can do some Obviously, they've got their own performance thing going on. Do you ever yeah. watch uh, the uh, the DJing, uh, the the dancehall DJing styles of um, uh, from Jamaica? Uh, where oh, basically uh, you're, yeah, I think I have seen something about that. Yeah. Where you basically got a, a a chanter or toaster or whatever toaster, you're calling, yeah, um, sort of chanting over yeah. a uh, rhythm tracks that a DJ yeah. plays. Again, it's a it, you know for the audience a very exciting uh, activity, yeah. but it's also yeah. a competitive activity too. Yes, because the better the DJ, the uh, mm. uh, you know they 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 want to be the best of the uh, uh, of the toasters that night. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. One thing um, coming back briefly to the Indian thing I saw from my notes. One of the things that's that we can compare here is that in that process of teaching, what we saw was that mm -hmm. um, we've basically got very, very small classrooms. Mm. Um, and, and there's this phrase here that I think is, is that, that Terry Bailey brings out. And I think he's emphasizes very greatly is that the, um, the teaching method is always the same imitation, repetition, exploration. Now, if you're doing that in a small classroom, just uh -huh. could be just one one teacher, one pupil, or a small number of pupils, whatever. And let's say it's a family situation or just a local uh, situation, mm. then you can see how a tradition can renew itself and evolve. Now compare that with how music is taught in Europe, where we've got 
theorists and professors and academics and, mm. uh, and, and textbooks, and there's a correct and an incorrect. Mm. Um, it's as though there's a, a structure that's been built up to prevent the renewal and modification of this. And we only permit mm. the very greatest artists uh, to, you know, uh, to do something substantially different with something by Bach or Mozart or Beethoven. Mm, yeah. Well, yeah. Although um, it's interesting because I had, uh, I had, uh, I think throughout my career, I had two types of teacher. And that was those that didn't play in lessons and those that did. And basically those that did were the, were the serious ones and the ones that I learned the most from. What do you mean serious? Well, more uh, concerned with actually passing something on. Mm. You know, and not just uh, ticking boxes and, uh, and all the rest of it. Uh, but... Uh, I mean, they would uh, they would reach for the instrument to demonstrate something when they couldn't explain it with words. Yeah. Fairly early on, I, I realized that I reacted a lot quicker to all of this, and I would actually goad my professors into playing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm very glad I did. Yeah. Um, I, I know I know people who who do teach without because oh, of course I now teach myself a little bit. Um, I have to do it with the instrument in my hand. I I couldn't couldn't ever do it without that. I have to have to actually demonstrate. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, but still, it's a um, we're stuck with these texts. And one of the things that's that this TV show didn't talk about at all was so. What do we do about generating new works? And there yeah. again. You know the the process of producing composers who are going to write the next works that are going to be adopted by the concert halls, uh, marginally successful, let's say. Yeah. I mean, there's some works that I enjoy in that space, but for the most part, it's not enjoyed by audiences, is it? <laughs> by the players, it seems. Um, you mm. know, the, it depends. I mean, I I, uh, I, I heard you go on about. Um, about Stockhausen Hymnen mm -hmm. yep. uh, quite a lot, which I know is, is a work that you like. Yeah. We played it a few weeks ago. I found myself being, um, you know, this is the thing. I always have this sort of, this conservative uh, orchestral musician's knee-jerk reaction within me that I have to fight against a lot. And... Um, a lot of it was because of the the way that all of the indications in the score were so unclear. Yeah. And it just took so long to actually rehearse something because it's like, what? He wants me to do what? No, hold, oh, I've got to wait until he's done that. Okay. Then then I, I do that, and then, then what happens? And it was, you know, that drove me up the wall. I drove everybody else up the wall, and you can feel the orchestra's patience evaporating yeah you know, which is, um i don't know uh then again a, a lot of the audience we have in casa de musica has come through the scarier end of rock and roll 
and um, maybe some maybe some avant-garde jazz as well. And uh, it's not your traditional audience who puts on a suit and goes and hears Brahms, although, you know, there are people who like to do that as well. But yeah, we do have a slightly slightly younger, edgier audience, and they they actually really look forward to stuff like this. Yeah, I mean, a, a standout piece. I'm I think that 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 may well sell. You know, that's um, and I I, I rate Stockhausen. I think that uh, not all of his works are exactly a success, but some of them are very very good. Uh, what I'm kind of getting at now is that the everything that's gone. Uh, gone before, let's say, let's 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 say up to around about Stravinsky, right? Hmm. Why should it seem so inappropriate for modern or contemporary composers? Let's just use that word for composers hmm. working today uh, to take that and and work with it. It's as though touching that body of work is oh. is just in bad taste. That's not yeah not to be done and so we're left with this this problem of not evolving from there but of coming at things from completely new directions so there's the modernist stuff uh which uh which is a bit hit and miss let's say um yeah you know for example you don't like burial and then there's the uh, the what they call the minimalists. Let's think, let's call it the American minimalists. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like the John Adams stuff. Some of which is pretty nice. Um, I don't think John Adams is really a minimalist, but yeah, the, you, the, know, that's, you know, that's that's Terry Riley, Philip Glass. That's yeah. the that's the the, the 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 sort of like the heading they're often put under. Though that's what I mean. Mm. Uh, but no, I don't think most of that music isn't minimalist really at all. Um, no. It seems to me that given everything that has gone before, there should be so much more freedom for mm. the composers. And why yeah. isn't that there? Why aren't yeah. they taking, I don't know. you know, taking a, what is it? What a, you know, take, take, some, take a piece by Berlioz and go and improvise on that and mm. come up with something new. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we're kind of a long way from uh, a long way from uh, from this TV show at this point. We uh, are, yeah. Have you? Did you think that the photog- photographic style holds up? Oh yeah, I mean, you get some, you get some very sort of uh, some moments which are which are not like early nineties. They're more like the eighties, particularly during the section on computer music. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but, also the. The the long you know the long lens photography in New York and Chicago where you've got like here's a here's a here's a lot of, here's a street with a lot of people on it and we can only see their feet you know, that kind of thing yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. but no I, I would love to see a, a a better print of it yeah no I thought it's beautiful it definitely does look a bit dated and, and at times but um, yeah, but that's that's okay it's part of the charm yes yeah yeah. Uh, it does show suggest that there are all kinds of ways of, of kind of revisiting this kind of thing, and mm-hmm. I mean it, it sort of demonstrates yeah. its process. You uh, you're going to like you've got to set up some people that you're going to film, um, and mm-hmm. just go and do the filming, do the recording, and uh, you make up some narration later. Um, it takes a little bit of planning with whoever's let's call it the writer who in this case was Derek Bailey, but there are lots yeah. of people who would do a, serve that job. Aren't there? 
Yeah, um, I mean, you've you've got to go over there. You've got to, you've got to actually film the artist yes. in the middle of of a rehearsal. Yeah, or something, or, you know, or or a show or something. But yeah. uh, you know, rehearsal is actually probably a bit more interesting for for somebody who's never been involved in one. <laughs> yeah, and um, and then then you do the interview, and uh, you know, and then do some then do some sort of uh, scenery shots. Yep. Uh, it you know, and, and and then put it together. It doesn't look all all that hard, especially with modern technology. Guess no, you can do, do it this. even cheaper these days. And yeah, it's it's a great shame that we've we've lost that sort of capacity for seriousness. I want to somehow push back on this idea of seriousness. It is a serious um, TV show, but it is also hugely entertaining. I love watching it. Oh yeah, no, I've no, it that's, about that's, four that's or five times in the last year. You know, it's it's a true pleasure. Uh, yeah, but um, my coming back to uh, to the pair of us standing in front of the the desk that security's at in yeah. Channel Four with our with our plans in our hands, um, you know, as a as a thing to pitch, it's yeah, it's not going to get past, is it? Yeah, oh, I see what you mean now. Seriousness relative to everything relative that's on to TV now. now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, just uh, rank consumerist. Um, it, it's not even... It's all like anesthetic TV. You know, it's just yeah. time filler, mind filler, yeah. distraction. It's not yeah. to edify or educate. Um, or, all of that stuff has now gone over onto po- either podcasting or YouTube. There is a fairly big independent um, documentary scene. Uh, the problem true. is, but the problem is, is how, how that stuff ends up in distribution and how to get, again, like the problem is not production these days. The problem is how do you get attention mm-hmm. on something? How do you get people to watch it? Um, and they've, we've got these, these, um, these streaming platforms that are all trying to monopolize that space and control what gets watched. Yeah, and that's exactly. how they make their money. I wonder if that uh, Miramoglu uh, documentary ever got released. Don't know. Yeah, I looked at that recently because uh, somebody in a forum was asking about Miramoglu, and I looked at it. I couldn't see any update, but you know, the website is is one of those things that yeah. just happens. Well, if you don't know what you're t- what we're talking about, go back and listen to our episode on "Sing Me a Song of Song My." Yeah, it's another good one. Yeah. Okay. Right. And yeah, once you've done that, you can sit down and watch this four-part uh, series on the Edge Improvisation in Music, which is on channel. Uh, which is on channel, channel four. four. It's on huge. <laughs> no, it's not on channel four. There's somebody like I don't know yeah. trying to. <laughs> sell a house or something on channel four no it's on youtube yeah um, and it's well worth a look yeah i i, I made a a local copy um just in case it gets deleted from youtube i thought that was a real <laughs> chance that, that might happen yeah. Know, something, something. but yeah no, but it, you know it, somebody somebody sat up on somebody actually went oh, went through the whole hassle of programming their videotape machine, which, let's face it, was one of the most baffling things you ever had to do. Yeah. They actually set their tape machine to record these four shows. Yeah. 
and uh, somebody went to the trouble of digitizing it and putting it on. Yeah. Well, well, thanks for that. But there's a lot of that on YouTube. I got a. That's that's the best thing about YouTube, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Okay. I think you should take your dog for a walk or something. Feed it. It's not that hard. All right then. (laughs) All right. Good night. Yep. Good. Good fight and good night.